What's going on, everybody, and welcome in to another edition of B-Shaped Daily. This one's going to be a little bit different. We're not breaking down a Cardinals game. It's more like an off-season B-Shaped Daily, except for all the fun is packed into one episode because it's not hot stove. Folks, it is trade deadline time, and the MLB trade deadline is less than 24 hours away. We're going to break down as much of what we can from Thursday because it was as though teams thought that midnight was the deadline on Thursday night. The moves happening across Major League Baseball today. I sincerely cannot remember a deadline this lit in my entire lifetime. Just contending teams and teams that fancy themselves as contending teams, whether they're in a postseason spot or not right now, it doesn't matter to some of them. The New York Yankees... Did their first half go the way they planned for it to? Hell no. Has that mattered tonight? Hell no. (laughs) The New York Yankees have been one of the most aggressive teams in all of baseball in the last 24 hours, making moves to upgrade their roster not only for the stretch run, but some of the moves they have made will also improve their team for 2022 and beyond. Want to take a moment real quick to issue an apology because there will be moments in this episode of B-Shape Daily and probably in recent episodes where you hear the mic start to crackle as though I'm making popcorn over top of the podcast. That's not happening, and I've done my best to try and weed those moments out, but tonight they may happen because I simply don't have time to do the regular editing that I might normally be able to do to try to get rid of those noises. If you're a regular B-Shape Daily listener, I've been alerted to the fact that you may have heard these noises in recent episodes. I want to apologize for that. I'm buying a new laptop very, very soon, which I hope will alleviate the problem. But if it happens tonight, rest assured that it's one of the final times it's going to happen. I just, I'm fed up. You wouldn't believe the dinosaur on which I record this podcast It's not a financial endeavor at this point in time. Ideally, someday, B-Shape Daily will be something that I can really make part of my living from, but I do it because I love it, because I love you guys for listening and taking part in the show. But right now, it becomes evident to me that I need to just get a new laptop. So I'm going to do that, but I do want to apologize over the course of the next couple of episodes, tonight in particular, If you hear something that doesn't sound right, I beg of you just to plow through. It should only last for a couple of moments, but I heard it even in the first couple of minutes there, and I was like, man, to have to go back and re-record that, I just don't think I'm going to be able to do it tonight. But I wanted to get this trade deadline episode out for y'all because I'm sure you have questions. When the New York Yankees, of all teams, and again, I don't think the Yankees are in that different of a position compared to where the Cardinals are right now. Are they? Did we talk about this yesterday? Yeah. Are they a little bit ahead of the curve compared to St. Louis right now at 53 and 48, five games above 500? Sure. Are they still eight and a half games out of their division? The Red Sox, who also made moves tonight, like that's what's so fascinating. Teams are out there going for it. They are trying their darndest to make moves, and I'm looking at the standings right now, and I'm like, man, the Cleveland Indians are in second place in the AL Central. Like, the Cardinals just played them. I figured they were one of the more 
bottom feeder kind of teams because we hear about them in a seller's context. No, no, no. They're right in the mix. You've got other American League wildcard teams like the Rays, just a couple of games behind the Red Sox. They're locked into a, a playoff spot, you'd have to imagine. And everybody else kind of chasing them. The Athletics, 57 wins. The Mariners, they're seven games above 500. we We've seen some Jerry DePoto action at this trade deadline. We'll try to talk to about as much as we can tonight. Even the Angels, a, a game above 500 right now. So there are teams in the AL trying to do their best to make a run at this postseason. The Blue Jays have even added relief help. I believe they traded for Brad Hand earlier in the day, the, the closer from the Washington Nationals. Dude's on one of my fantasy teams. I'm like, wait, what the hell? Jordan Romano is is another reliever they've had that I thought, man, he's he's lined up for saves the second half of the year. No, no, no. There are teams out there that are trying to make a run at the postseason this year, and that is what makes it so fascinating that amid all of that, you've got a team like the Blue Jays. Fourth place in the AL East, they're adding a closer on a short-term contract to try to give it a try this year. The New York Yankees have gone berserk. They have done everything in their power to try to improve their team. Now, I mentioned they were the team I was talking about off the top, a team that is doing everything it can, not only for 2021, but for 2022, potentially beyond. But you think about Joey Gallo. The Yankees acquire him tonight from the Rangers. Joey Gallo got to shave the beard, but he's under contract for 2022. They get Anthony Rizzo, the Cubs, the long-fabled fire sale that was coming for the Chicago Cubs. It's here. We've seen them trade Ryan Tapera to the White Sox today. A strong relief contributor that goes to the other side, the south side, a, a contender. The White Sox are in first place in their division, so you understand that. Cubs are just trying to stockpile prospects right now. Should be good news for the Cardinals. That's one fewer team you have to worry about as a contender in the National League. But I got news for you. Some of your wild card compadres, like the Padres, like the Dodgers, those teams have been active over the last couple of days trying to improve. Have we seen anything like this Max Scherzer situation over the course of Thursday evening? He was all but done to the San Diego Padres. That was what was being reported across MLB Twitter. The beat writers, the national guys were all over it. He was going to be in San Diego. Turns out the Dodgers had other ideas in mind. Not only are they getting Max Scherzer, they're getting Trey Turner as well. Los Angeles, who right now is in second place in that NL West. I feel bad for the Giants. I don't think there's anything they can do to stave off the inevitable overtake that the Dodgers are about to establish because you just added two all-star caliber players after your division rival was supposed to get them. Like, I cannot remember seeing anything like this in recent memory. Max Scherzer, Trey Turner, I believe that trade, if it's not finalized yet, it's it's coming together. They're going to the Dodgers. Josiah Gray is one of the guys that's going to be heading the other direction to Washington in this deal. The Dodgers have essentially manipulated and milked the most they could out of this luxury tax situation. The fact that they have an ownership that's willing to spend money has really 
come to their benefit because they acquired some of these prospects in past years through the willingness to take on money. They they brought in some dead money. Recall with their trade to get Josiah Gray in the first place, that was a deal with the Reds that involved Homer Bailey coming on board, Yasiel Puig going to Cincy. That was a big trade that involved a lot of money, and the Dodgers ultimately sent cash along with that deal to the Reds. So the, the Dodgers in recent years, long story short, have been willing to take on money in order to stockpile these prospects, and now they're using these prospects as weapons in their trade aspirations to be able to build the roster that they believe can contend right now. Max Scherzer is going to be a Dodger. We know Trey Turner will as well. Scherzer's contract expires at the end of the season. Trey Turner is going to be around through arbitration till the end of 2022. I just love the way teams across the game right now are just stockpiling talent. They don't care about any of the details. They're saying, look, this is an arms race. There is an opportunity right now that we can sense with our roster to win contend for a world championship, and by golly, we're going to do it. There is just something to respect about that mindset. The Dodgers also going out and acquiring Danny Duffy from the Royals. It's as though like a handful of teams in Major League Baseball tonight decided, screw it, we're just, they, they see their opponent across the aisle doing it, and they're like, well, let's go. We're going to get this done. And so everybody is making moves at the top. The Red Sox get Kyle Schwarber. They see the New York Yankees getting Gallo, getting Rizzo, and they say, well, shoot, Kyle Schwarber, before he went on the injured list, I believe it's a hamstring thing for Kyle Schwarber. He was one of the top home run hitters in the game. The Nationals decided, and credit to them, for committing to the bit. At this point, they're not contending, and so they are committing to selling off anything of value. Kyle Schwarber goes to the Red Sox from the Washington Nationals, according to Robert Murray. The trade rumors, the trade deals, they're flying hot and heavy. So I'm right now, I'm on MLB trade rumors, and I just want to try and figure out if we can get through as many of these as we can from tonight, the most noteworthy pieces of news, and then I'm going to get into the thread where I ask Cardinals fans for their opinions on what's going on, for their questions, their comments, their concerns, about where the Cardinals fit into all of this. Because the answer right now is that they don't. Cardinals have not made any moves. There have not been any rumblings. Completely quiet on the Western Front. As long as the Western Front is St. Louis, Missouri. Because in the real West, in San Diego, in Los Angeles, people are making moves and making deals. And noticing as I look through MLB trade rumors right now, there's a Diego Castillo deal. It's like the Mariners always find themselves in the middle of everything. It's A.J. Preller with San Diego and Jerry DePoto with Seattle. Those two guys could just have a field day. If every day was trade deadline day, those two gentlemen would be happy in their environment because they're always looking to make trades. And what I can respect about that is the Padres, third place in their division right now. The Mariners, third place in their division right now. But both teams above 500. Both teams with legitimate opportunities to reach wildcard status. And they're not content. They're not just going to rest on their laurels and hope that things work out. They're always actively looking to make a difference and improve their roster. 
Will some of those deals, in retrospect, ultimately fall flat? Absolutely. They're not going to nail all of them, but I feel like, and it's based pretty clearly on the evidence at this point, that those are two organizations that do not fear the failure of a trade gone wrong. The St. Louis Cardinals are more than content to wait in the wings, see what plays out, see what happens. And I don't mean to denigrate John Moselock and company for their approach to this deadline. I understand they're in a position that they consider to be a little more difficult because their roster, A, has not been complete to their expectations this season. You've been missing pieces throughout the year. And the performance of the guys you've had has not been up to par. Right now, the Cardinals sitting at 51 and 51. They're in third place in the Central. There's no clear path to a wild card because you're somewhere in the neighborhood of seven and a half games out doing some quick math behind the second wild card, and you're seven out in the division. So, because of that, the Cardinals, and I, sorry, nine and a half out in the division. Need to correct myself. I was looking at the Reds, just assuming the Cardinals were in second place. They are not. The Reds are 7 out. The Cardinals, 9.5. With that kind of trajectory, I can understand where it would be difficult for John Moselak and his staff to orchestrate a trade deadline reminiscent of what we're seeing from other contending teams. That being said, I don't think we need to issue them an infinite get-out-of-jail-free card, an everlasting reprieve for the lack of moves that we're seeing. At some point, you'd like to see some willingness from the Cardinals organization to make some moves when it counts, but I just don't know if you're going to see that this July, this trade deadline season. The Cardinals have, in recent years, been more comfortable making these deals in the offseason. They traded for Goldschmidt, in the winter. They traded for Arenado in the winter. This is not a front office that operates at its best under the gun. It's just not. I don't think that's a a damning statement about... I, I, I just think it's a statement of fact. You look over the years at the way they've operated, that is their MO. They like to take their time. They like to evaluate. They like to see where the market goes and react accordingly, they are not a market setter, and they've never been under John Moselock. It's just the way it is. And right now, when you look at the way they're performing, can you can you question that? Can you say that that's wrong on July 30th, 2021? I, I don't know that you definitively can say anything, because it will always take time to see these trades through as, as the deadline passes and the deals that are made, we're not going to know on August 1st which teams were winners and which were losers at the deadline. But what we can do is evaluate the teams that have made a concerted effort in an environment where it has clearly been possible to do so. It's not like these teams are giving up massive prospects. And that's what I don't always understand. Is it a relationship factor that the Cardinals just don't have it with opposing front offices to where they're able to, under the gun, make these kinds of deals and feel like they're getting fair value for their their assets? I don't know what it is. I do know that a lot of other teams are finding comfort in finding an ability to make these trades at the deadline where the Cardinals just do not feel like it's it's worthwhile. It's not an endeavor that they're 
willing to get into at this point in time. That's the way I read it. At 24 hours from now, I could be proven wrong by the Cardinals being a surprise entrant into the festivities at the last minute. I don't expect it now. I haven't expected it over the last several weeks. It's why here on B-Shape Daily, you've heard me talking about it day after day after day. I don't think the Cardinals are about to make a splash. But nevertheless, the questions from fans are understandably, what do the Cardinals do? Is anything going to happen? So I'm going to roll through this thread. I got 40 or so replies We're 16 minutes right now into the episode. I'm going to try to get us out of here in as close to 30 as I can, but I have a feeling that might be a little bit difficult. I'm going to scroll through some of these and the tougher ones I may track back to. We'll see where we are on time. Looking at a question from Garrett, he says, The focus on this year's draft seemed to be on pitchers that throw strikes as their primary attribute. Do you think this will continue to lead to rotations filled with number two and number three starters. Presumably he's talking about the Cardinals. Jackson ace, but will likely walk, and we haven't seen a real ace since 2014 Wayno, I guess. Uh, Michael McGreevy, the the Cardinals' number one draft choice this season, was not a guy who you would call projectable, where the Cardinals were taking their chance on a big guy who could throw hard and has nasty stuff but they're not sure about the raw nature of his talent, and so they're just going to take a chance on a raw talent and go for it. That's not where McGreevy's at. He's more of a guy that profiles, as Garrett noted, number two, number three, maybe even number four starter at the big league level. Doesn't have impeccable stuff, but he's got commandable stuff, has been able to show the ability within the strike zone, and so I would say the upside is capped, but... The floor is higher, where they expect him to be able to contribute in the big leagues within a few years. So, of that strategy, what do you think of it? Well, for one, I definitely understand it. I understand that the Cardinals are in a position where they've seen a pitching staff that they thought had depth suddenly suffer injuries, suddenly be walking everybody in sight and hitting everybody else with their pitches. And they thought, let's go ahead and get somebody who's not going to have those issues It's like a Miles Michaelis kind of pitcher, right? Where you expect him to be in the zone, to log innings, to be durable. Well, the problem with Michaelis the last couple of years, he hasn't been durable. We don't have any idea that McGreevy will be similar in the injury vein. There's no reason to think so. And so the Cardinals are going for what they perceive to be a safer strategy with some of these draft picks than high upside. What I will say is, The previous draft, you go high school stud in Jordan Walker, who so far so good, it looks to be panning out. Mason Wynn is another guy from that draft class, looks to be panning out. Tink Hentz remains to be seen, but that's a pitcher that you go for at the high school age that has upside. Like, he's that kind of player. So, I don't think you can look at the one first-round pick from the Cardinals and say suddenly that's indicative of the kind of style of drafting that they intend to do. I think they look at each year individually and they try to make the best moves they can. And this year they thought a, a safer type of pitching prospect with a with a ceiling maybe a little bit lower than some of the other raw talents that you could have drafted. That was the way the Cardinals wanted to go. I just think they liked the kid and that's the direction they chose to go because of it. I don't know that that has any sort of organizational overreach of the way they plan things to go moving forward. That's just where they're at right now. Andrew says, why do Cardinals fans continue to think this front office will do anything significant at the trade deadline? Take your relief pitcher and move on. 
Well, I think that's what the Cardinals ultimately are going to do. I think they could maybe make a move before the deadline, but it'll be that kind of move. It'll be a reliever. It'll be a pitcher. Add some more depth. They added TJ Zook. I don't know how to say his name from the Blue Jays. He was another cast-off, though. He was not somebody that was going to be a significant addition. And so otherwise, I don't think the Cardinals are making moves. I've talked about how I don't think I see them selling. Like, could they be a late player in Trevor's story? That would be fun and interesting. I would be surprised unless things go really awry for the Rockies and they say, well, I know we've we've got the phone number of the guy in St. Louis because we just traded with him over the offseason. We like that Gomber kid. Maybe they've got somebody else we can pick up. That's the only way the Cardinals really make a splash. It's somebody like Story. I don't think in the pitching market they're going to make a move. I've seen articles from other writers in the, in the market that, that talk about the, the layout for pitching. I don't think they're going to get a big starter. I just don't think they're, you know, once Scherzer moves, everybody seems to be indicating that could be next. It could be, but I, I don't know that the Cardinals are willing to give up what that could take. And so it could come down to the deadline where the Cardinals have a price in mind and it's going to depend on another team to meet it in order for the Cardinals to actually become active in this trade market. Alex Kennedy asks, with all the money coming off the books this summer, who would you like to see the Cardinals go after in free agency and in the trade market? And I ask this because I don't think we will do much at this point in the season as it stands. Well, Alex, I agree with you on that. As I've noted so far, I don't think the Cardinals are going to be big movers over the next 24 hours. However, I do think the offseason does present another opportunity for the Cardinals to find their comfort zone and make some moves that could benefit this roster. I don't think they should continue going too terribly old because they've trended with older veterans in Goldschmidt, Arenado. You don't want to put all your eggs into that basket. I Listen, nobody's complaining about either of those two players on the roster. At least they shouldn't be. Cardinals went out and got their guys, especially Arenado. He's not even quite Goldschmidt's age. I think both of those can be contributors in St. Louis for years to come. But I don't need I don't know if you need another 30-year-old guy. I think I see a lot of people talking about the middle infield and whether the Cardinals could potentially make some moves in that market. There are a lot of options coming up this offseason, like Trevor Story, like Corey Seeger. I think Seeger is the name. If the if the Cardinals were going to go after one big name guy, I would be all in on Corey Seeger. I think he's been injured for a good portion of this season. He's only 27 years old, though, at this point. And do I have faith in Paul DeYoung? I think he can still be a contributor. Cardinals got to add a legit bat at middle infield, though. I, I don't think you can continue the path they're on where every freaking spring you're like, well, maybe this could work out and they could do get offense. Forget about the defense for a moment. Harrison Bader is going to be around. He'll give you some defense in center. You're going to get a guy who can probably play decent enough defense at the middle infield. Tommy Edmond cannot be your starting second baseman going into next year, in my opinion. He plays a really good defense, almost no matter where you put him. Offensively, I, I don't I, like. I don't think I have to denigrate Tommy Edmond. I think you can just look at the numbers and say, yeah, that's not enough. They need more production. Look at what Colton Wong's been doing. Even Colton Wong is not a home run kind of guy. They basically need a home run kind of guy at second base. In the modern MLB, I don't care that the DH is coming. I think the Cardinals need to do more offensively. Edmonds' OPS is 674. It flat out will not cut it. Not for the everyday second baseman. Not when you know that you're cool with whatever you get out of Harrison Bader offensively in center field. 
not when Dylan Carlson, who could potentially evolve and develop into more than he's been, his OPS is around 760 in right field. That's just average. You actually need more from that position than what he's been able to give you so far. Tyler O'Neill has been good on the year as of late, not so much. Where will he be in 2022? Obviously, he's affordable, so he'll probably be a part of the Cardinals' plans in the outfield, as well as should be. He's been really strong for them this season. And we've talked about the different tools that he possesses to be able to help you in a lot of different ways. That's a positive for an organization. But the spot I just keep coming back to, and I don't care if it's the second baseman or the shortstop, grab another shortstop and pick one of them to play second base. Paul DeYoung, the numbers have not been good enough. I still feel like I'm suckered into thinking there's enough there to justify his position on the 2022 Cardinals in the starting lineup. Like, I'm willing to count on that. What I'm not willing to do is say, yeah, DeYoung can play shortstop. You can leave everything else the same. And, hey, this Nolan Gorman guy could be pretty good. Bring him up. Let him be your second baseman. No. I'm not okay with that because when you look at what the Dodgers are doing, the Padres are doing, what other teams are doing, and again, this is not an on-the-field point of view. This is not a, a knock on any of the Cardinals players. I'm looking at the front office, and I'm saying, are you seeing what's happening around the game of baseball and the way teams are just content to stockpile talent? They don't care where they put them. Forget complicated. You've got to get talent. And the Cardinals have an opportunity to say, okay, this Gorman guy we think can be pretty good. We've got Arenado. We like him at third. We're going to have Gorman play some different positions. Can we get him to where he's able to play some outfield? Perhaps. Could he play some second base? We think so. Could he DH? Obviously anybody could. If the bat plays in the majors, he'll be here in 22. But that does not mean anoint him this or that. Have a contingency. And have the contingency be the number one option. Go get a shortstop. Go get Corey Seager. Go get Trevor Story if you think he's the answer. Story's numbers, has not they've not been as good this year. So maybe he's not going to be a good value for whoever acquires him in the free agent market. Go get somebody, though, where you can say, all right, I don't care who defensively plays shortstop. Put the other one at second base. Have Tommy Edmond do what he's capable against lefties because he can kill lefties. Put him in against righties where it's appropriate to do so. Carpenter will not be on the team, so you can finally fix the bench. I love Matt Carpenter, but it's it's just not a long-term solution. I don't think he's going to be around next year. The Cardinals can start to reorient with this offseason. I think that means adding someone who can play middle infield but can also mash, and you bring in Nolan Gorman, not with the expectation that he has to be A, B, or C on your roster, but that if he proves he can be, which I, I anticipate that he probably will, Good. That's a bonus. You don't need to worry about what's complicated and what your roster is outfitted for. Get good players. Find out where to put them. Figure it out later. That is the modern MLB. That is the approach a lot of these teams are taking at the deadline. Oh, hey, this talent is available. It's affordable. Let's go get it and figure out the rest later. It doesn't matter. And I feel like if there's been one knock on the Cardinals... It's been there. Uh, there's just not been a willingness to make those kinds of moves in season. They need a little bit too much time to think about them and to prepare for them and to plan around them. Then I think some of these uh, front offices are saying in season, all right, who cares? Can they help us win? All right. I trust my manager. I trust our staff to figure it out later. And obviously they're spending money, right? Like, 
the Padres, the Dodgers, the Red Sox, these teams are contract is not of a of a concern for them. They'll take anybody. Now, yeah, the Cardinals got Nolan Arenado. Credit to them for doing that. But you can't say that strategy is the same as the one we're seeing from some of these contenders on Thursday night with the trades they're making on short-term contracts like Trey Turner for another year, like Rizzo for the rest of this one, like the Dodgers and Scherzer for the rest of this one, like Joey Gallo for this year and next year. That's not what the Cardinals did with Arenado in the offseason because they sacrificed Colton Wong to get him. Like if they had Colton Wong and said, oh, he's good at baseball, the price is not overly prohibitive, or we could consider that he might be willing to accept a lesser average annual value for more years, which is ultimately what he signed with the Milwaukee Brewers, and the guy would have been happy to do so. I cannot believe otherwise that he wouldn't have if the Cardinals came to him right away and said, hey, here's the deal, but here's what we want to do for you. I think he would have been amenable to that. I have no reason to believe that he wouldn't have. I don't think the Cardinals ever went there. I don't think they were willing to. Too much uncertainty with the cost at that time. That's an ownership question that's not a John Moselak question. But I think the Cardinals need to be oriented in that way where they can say, oh, Colton Wong has been a really helpful player to us. Go get him. Well, Tommy Edmond, where's it? who cares? It doesn't matter where Tommy Edmond's going to play. He'll play because guys get hurt and he'll contribute. It'll be awesome. Go get Arenado. Oh, he's available. We can do that. Yup, do it. Get good players. Figure out the rest later. That's what we're seeing across Major League Baseball. It's been what the Cardinals have lacked. They haven't lacked. They, they haven't had the willingness for creativity in the moment to be able to say, ah, forget it. Let's go do it. That's really been their missing ingredient from a front office perspective, but I can't necessarily blame the front office for it if I don't know that ownership is also kind of steering that ship because that could be the case in which situation I wouldn't be able to say, well, Mo, why didn't you do this or that? It's kind of an ownership thing. Mo's hands might be tied. I'm sure their payroll was what it was for this year. They weren't looking to add a lot. The only reason the, the Arenado deal happened is, you know, they kicked in a bunch of cash and they were able to keep their costs relatively low for this year and then project out to the future that they were going to be able to recoup some of that money and it was going to all work out. That's why that happened. Jason, do you believe this team is in need of outside voices? Fresh thinking, why or why not? George Kissel has been dead a while. Maybe the Cardinals' way needs updated. I think the Cardinals' way is just fine. I I think that they've got quality people on the coaching staff throughout the organization and throughout the front office. Like I think the people in charge are quality. I just think that there is occasionally a different path they could take towards success. There's more than one way to do it. And sometimes I feel like with the Cardinals, maybe it feels like they're comfortable with their way of approaching things and maybe not so willing to adapt on the fly. And and listen, I'm not trying to say adapting on the fly is always the answer. You can do that and it can come back to bite you. But there are times where I think the Cardinals, yeah, I could see the, the need to freshen things up. But listen, when you've got an organization that has been, you know, you talk about George Kissel. There, Mike Schill is a George Kissel disciple. Like if you want, if you want to find people in the in the image of George Kissel, you've got him. You've got him as the manager of the team. Like I don't question Mike Schilt in that regard whatsoever. So if you think that's valuable, if you're saying, well, Kissel's been gone, maybe they need to update. The, if there's anybody that knows the ways of George Kissel, it's Mike Schilt. 
So I'm just being honest with you. That's the truth. I understand fan frustration with some of the things that have gone on in recent years, but I can give you the reality. Like, I've seen it. I know that Mike Schilt is that person. Elise says, what's next for the Cardinals? I feel like we've been stuck in trade deadline paralysis for years. Never enough of a splash in the offseason. Are we destined to be 500 going forward? Well, I would say in the offseason, the Cardinals have made those splashes. That is where John Mozeliak and company shine the most when they have time to plot something out and approach it in, in slow fashion as a market develops. That's where they're at their strongest. At the deadline, yeah, deadline paralysis I think is real with this team. I don't think there's any way you could deny it at this point. Cardinals are just not a major player at the trade deadline. They haven't been since Matt Holliday, and that was 2009, I want to say. Like, that's been a while. So I would say that's a fair statement. Like, at the deadline, they're not making big moves. They've made moves. They have, I don't think any of them have been, like, glowing successes. You're not always going to fleece somebody. But, like, we can look at some of the trades that we thought years ago that were bad. Tommy Pham trade, for instance. Like, if they had Pham over the last few years, could it have worked out? Sure. Don't think he was a a match for the organization for a long time. And, and you've seen Pham dealt once again since that deal. So he's been with multiple organizations. And so maybe he kind of wears on teams as it goes. I still love Tommy Pham. I think he's a quality player. But did you get Genesis Cabrera? Is he a young guy, part of your current roster? Sure. So, you know, Justin Williams, maybe that doesn't pan out. I, I don't think it probably will at this point. But it's not like you got nothing for him and you were able to to use those spots at least in some way, shape, or form. Luke Voigt, Yankees fans aren't thrilled with that situation. He's been injured. I know he, he showed the ability to hit some bombs. That's great. Gio Gallegos has been a really big godsend for the Cardinals bullpen. I don't think you'd take that trade back, honestly, with what we've seen in the last couple of years. So, like, they've made some of these moves that you're like, I'm not so sure about. Ultimately, some of them pan out. So, I would say, yes, I understand the question. Yes, I don't think they're the team I would peg to be able to make the most out of a trade deadline. But, there's still positive things that have happened. It's just not at the rate that I think Cardinals fans who, understandably, get impatient. They want to know what can happen next. It's not at the rate that they would have liked to have seen. Morgan asks, can we officially say the season is over since the Brewers improved their roster yet? Our front office has failed to acquire anyone to help the offense, starting pitching, and or bullpen. No, I don't think the season's over. I don't think you can say, Miles Michaelis and Jack Flaherty, that's just like a trade. You're not going to hear that coming out of my mouth. But I do think the Cardinals are looking at their roster and saying, well, if we could just get those pitchers back, it would help. And therefore, if we do that, we feel like we have five pitchers. Is Wade LeBlanc your favorite number five? Yeah, probably not. The Cardinals easily could have gone out and tried to get Scherzer, tried to do whatever. But ultimately, you have to realize Scherzer and Trey Turner went to the same team in a deal that netted uh, some top prospects. Cardinals were not willing to meet that price. I get it. Like, I'm not surprised that the Cardinals were not involved in that deal especially when you figure they were supposed to have been traded to the Padres, at least in Max Scherzer's case, and then he goes to L.A. Like, clearly there was a bidding war, there was a lot going on, big names were being thrown around. Guess whose names were not thrown around? Jordan Walker, Nolan Gorman, Matthew Libertor. Those guys are still on the team. So you can't have your cake and eat it too, I think is the problem. And I understand the question, but 
I, I've talked at length through this podcast about my lack of surprise at the Cardinals not going out and getting a big name. So do I think the season's over? No. Do I think the Brewers have done a better job in season of equipping their roster for postseason success and to try to just simply get to the postseason? Yeah, I do. They've done a much better job. Phillip, his question, will the cards be in on the middle infield market in the deadline or in the offseason? Not much up the middle. Depth in the farm, Edmund DeYoung doesn't seem to be a long-term solution. Hey, we're on the same page, Phil. Like I, That's what I've said. If you've got one area to target in the offseason, don't think it's happening right now. But if you have an area to target in the offseason, to me it's the middle infield. Because yes, the DH is coming. You can find a spot for Gorman. Edmund can serve his role in multiple positions. I think you can do a little bit of everything with the guys you have. Just add one more piece. I think that works with the roster you've constructed and it makes you better. So in the offseason, given that I think it's Carlos Correa, Corey Seager, Trevor Story, there may be some other names in there. There's a lot of free agents in that middle infield market. Go get one. Make it happen. Find the guy that fits your roster the best and improve next year because of it. A question from Greg. Is the cost of building Ballpark Village and the lack of spending on a competitive roster related? The answer is no. I don't think one has to do with another. I do think it's a bad look when the Cardinals are focusing on all of these or the people who are in charge of the Cardinals, the owners, focusing on these outside projects without building the team. But their response to that would be, well, Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldsmith, like they're making these moves, but it seems like very calculated. The Cardinals are not as freewheeling as some of the teams like the Dodgers, like the Padres, but that's just the nature of the organization. They're more conservative. That's the way they operate. You're a fan of the Cardinals. That's It just comes with the territory. I don't know what to say. Jeff, why are the Cardinals so quiet during the deadline? Well, I talked about that. Greg's, Greg M. says the Cards could sure use a high OBP left-handed middle infielder. What would it take to pry Wong away from the Brewers? Ha! <laughs> yeah, the Cardinals had their chance at Colton Wong, and they freaking blew it. They whiffed. Josh Harrison, has he, be, has he been traded? That would be my answer if you're looking for a high OBP left-handed middle infielder go get him from the Nats unless he's already been moved Timothy it seems like other teams are making moves giving up marginal prospects outside their own top 10 prospects getting really good players why is it that the Cardinals are not able to do the same the Yankees really gave very little for both Rizzo and Gallo even the Dodgers who've made a lot of moves have not sold the farm yep is that relationships is that willingness to pick up the phone I don't know the answer, but I think it's a problem for the Cardinals. I, I, how can you continue to, year after year, look at these deadline moves? In some years, it's like, holy smokes. I, I, don't want any, I don't want a piece of that at all. The asking prices are ridiculous. We thought it might be a seller's market. I, to be honest, it's a buyer's market, the way we're seeing things go down today. I totally agree. I don't know why the Cardinals haven't been able to do it. They just have not been able to get it done. Are there any jobs on the line besides Albert? Talking about Jeff Albert. Will there be a busy offseason in the trade market? And who might be gone in said trades? I would say pitching coach and hitting coach need to consider the possibility that a bad finish to the season could lead to an evaluation that could change their job status. I don't think that's impossible. Would shock me to see Mike Schilt go. Would shock me to see John Mose- John Mozeliak is not going anywhere. The, the day John Mozeliak leaves the Cardinals is the day that he resigns a la Theo Epstein. 
He's not going anywhere until he decides to do so. That is my official take on the subject. Which is a great segue into a question from JD. How hot of a seat should Mo be feeling right now? Cool as a cucumber. Guy's not going anywhere unless he decides he wants to. Period. The end. That's it. I have nothing else to add to that. Move on to the next question. Talkman, Mike Talkman, would he be an, uh, an ideal fourth outfielder? Should the team go after him? Yeah, I would say that's fine. He was DFA'd by, I believe, the Giants recently. Yeah, the Cardinals could do that. Will they? I don't know. I really don't. What kind of roster churn will the Cardinals do at the deadline? That's a question from the Snorting Bowl. You know, I don't think they're going to make a lot of churn. They could they could clear some 40-man spots. I could see that. Some smaller potatoes kinds of moves. Nothing that I think will have a major impact on 2021. Question, how's that extension on DeYoung coming along from Dead Birds? Not great, but the Cardinals' organizational strategy was early extensions. We'll see whether that continues, because I think there have been enough of those that you question to be like, all right, maybe we need to approach this a little bit differently. Another question, at what point is the organization willing to move on from Paul DeYoung? Another Paul D question, replace with a shortstop with on-base skills. He thinks it would be a much better, uh, better fit Pardon me, for the lineup. I think you can can accomplish that by moving Paul DeYoung to second base or bringing in a shortstop that accomplishes exactly what you're saying, but I don't think you have to move Paul DeYoung to do it. Now, could they trade DeYoung in something that nets another position for the organization? Yeah, I could see that if they want to get out from underneath that contract. I still think they might see enough in DeYoung to go ahead and not do that. Michael says, do the Cardinals secure a bench bat or rotation piece before the deadline? Uh, I don't see them getting a bench bat. I think that's probably what they need. Maybe among the most pressing needs is somebody who can be a platoon fit and a bench bat for this team. Do I have the faith that John Mozilla can execute the right move at the deadline? I don't know if I do because he hasn't shown in the past that that's his forte. We'll wait and see. Will Yachty and Wayno get an extension only if they want it? I think that Yachty... You know, that's a little bit tricky. You obviously, if, if the guy wants to come back, it's going to be hard for the Cardinals not to bring him back. I don't think it'll be about money. He's not making all that much money this year anyway, relative to, like, the amount that would cause you to have some questions. I think on Wayno, if he doesn't want to retire, you bring him back. I don't, regardless of Yachty, Wayno's been a better contributor, and the pitching staff might need him next year. So if he wants to be back, you bring him back. We'll wait and see. Uh, why not take a big swing to win? Uh, the big swing, the, the ownership is going to have to approve that. And the Cardinals, John Mozeliak, under him, un, they, they don't want to mortgage the future. I understand that. But I've seen other teams make moves tonight where they haven't mortgaged the future to do it. The Cardinals, they do not seem as confident in their ability to be able to pull that off, so we'll have to wait and see. Ryan says Trevor Story or bust. I don't really know that that makes sense. I know he's a friend of Nolan's. He hasn't really been very good this year, and the asking price does not match up with the production. I think coming into the year, Trevor Story, absolutely. And I get that sometimes guys have an offseason. He's picking a hell of a time to have an offseason, though. That's what I'm going to say. Here's a lineup question from Anthony. Why is Yachty still batting above eighth? Or even at all, he has not been a top 
950 player since April. I don't know what 950 means, but yeah, he bats too high in the lineup. Welcome to being a fan of St. Louis Cardinals. Like, he's got the ability to hit in key situations. Most of the time, he's not going to be impactful. Bader should be above him. Yachty should be batting seventh in every lineup, but he's probably not going to. Kenny, is Yachty coming back next year? I don't know. He might need to start hitting a little more to be able to convince the team that that's a good idea. They may not care. He's an organizational legend, rightfully so. Remains to be seen, though, what ends up happening with Yachty as time goes on. Okay, we've gone on for 45 minutes. I appreciate you guys for sticking with me. I'm kind of tired tonight, but I wanted to do a trade deadline episode. Moves are happening around the league. We've talked a lot about them. We've talked a lot about where the Cardinals are looking. I don't have anything imminent that I could say within the next day the Cardinals are going to do. And I wish I did. I wish I had better news. But you got to know that I'm not plugged in on everything and I'm not going to be privy to the fact that the Cardinals are going to make a move because they hold things close to the vest. So maybe I'm just dumb and they're doing something on Friday. Wouldn't that be a nice situation when we get to the ballpark on Friday afternoon, evening, after the trade deadline? The Cardinals have already welcomed a new piece to the roster. That would be great, right? What are my level of expectations for that taking place? Well, not especially high. However, I appreciate you guys, as always, for joining me for B-Shape Daily. Would love to have you subscribe to the episode, to the podcast. You can do so on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts as well. Head on over to anchor.fm slash bshafer12. Click on more platforms, and you can find all the areas and locations for B-Shape Daily to your podcasting pleasure. Thank you guys so much, and we will talk to you next time. Cardinals have the Twins over the weekend. We'll recap Game 1 on Friday on B-Shape Daily tomorrow. Thank you guys once again. We'll talk to you next time. Peace.